must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. This is part one of our interview with Dr. Kyle Ridgway, in which Kyle discusses his journey as a new physical therapist and how he came to be where he is now, some of the biggest mistakes that he has made in the acute care and ICU settings that have changed how he practices, tactics for students to have confidence and success working in the acute care and ICU settings, the best CEUs and resources for the acute care ICU clinician, and how education in the hospital is unique compared to other rehab settings. Now, without further ado, we present part one with Dr. Kyle Ridgway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm Brandon Pollan, and of course, as always, I am joined by my co-host, F. Scott Beal. And today, we welcome a very special guest from Colorado. And today, we welcome Dr. Kyle Ridgway. Now, for those who don't know who Kyle is, Kyle is a physical therapy clinical specialist at the University of Colorado Hospital, where he designed and implemented a large-scale and innovative quality improvement project in the medical ICU. This eventually became the standard practice model for the unit. Kyle is also a clinical instructor from the University of Colorado Doctor of Physical Therapy program, and he received his Bachelor's in Arts in Neuroscience from Pomona College and his Doctorate of Physical Therapy from the University of Colorado Denver on Schultz Medical Campus. He is a board-certified clinical specialist in cardiovascular and pulmonary physical therapy. And early, as in, early in his career, he indulged his broad clinical interests by practicing in a small, private outpatient clinic, a long-term acute care hospital, and an academic acute care hospital. Currently, he is pursuing his passion for acute care physical therapy, specifically for patients who are critically ill combined with his desire to bridge clinical practice, research, and critical thinking. He aids in research and speaks nationally regarding acute and critical care physical therapy, quality improvement, and PT's role in hospital readmissions. Dr. Ridgway is also a contributor to the PT Think Tank, which is a blog dedicated to critical observations about health, science, and physical therapy, where he aims to provide meaningful, challenging, and insightful analysis but of course, it's just his opinion. Now, Kyle, first and foremost, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, man, as we greatly appreciate your time and insight. And I realized that I kept your bio pretty brief, but was there anything that you'd like our audience to know about you that I didn't mention in this brief intro? I mean, first of all, thank you both for having me. I'm very thankful for the opportunity and uh, you guys allowing me to speak and talk about my interests and experiences and insight. You know, I don't think anything specific, you know, I think something to Take into account that you'll hear a lot through this podcast was just how much I learned during that quality improvement development and implementation. And that was a situation where I was really kind of blessed where our department was kind of charged to do something that was outside the norm for how acute care uh, departments are assessed and analyzed, which is normally, hey, your cost center costs this much money per year. Uh, how many patients do you see? What's your productivity? Even though that doesn't really truly matter fiscally in acute care, but we could get into that later. And so I was given the opportunity to kind of 
design, <clears throat> implement, propose, uh, and assess this quality improvement project that was funded by our hospital. So I got to get be in this cool space where 50% of my time was clinical and 50% was administrative. And that included education, teaching, collaboration with a bunch of different professionals and PTs. So that's kind of the 30,000 foot view on on the background of that QI, but that was really kind of formative in my development, a lot of my thinking and learning from a lot of uh, mistakes, of course. So besides that, I think, uh, I think the, the introduction is uh, quite accurate and hopefully clear. Wow, Kyle, that sounds like an amazing opportunity, man. Could you tell us a little bit about how you decided to go down the route of acute and critical care rehabilitation? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a bit of a winding road. And so I thank you for allowing me to elaborate. You know, I actually, and I think I'll start at the beginning, so I'm sorry if this sounds like a little mini biography, but a lot of my colleagues in acute care kind of had this similar winding road, and I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I actually knew I wanted to be a physical therapist when I was in high school. Uh, I, was really, I was an athlete, played football, played baseball, uh, actually ski raced a little bit, and I was super into kind of like athletic training, sports performance, uh, all that kind of stuff, and I was lucky in that the athletic trainer for our high school was a physical therapist. And he owned his own practice. And so I would talk with him a lot. And he just encouraged me to go down the route of physical therapy. He was like, you know, personal training, sports training, athletic training is not uh, as broad of a field as physical therapy. He believed in my academic ability. He said, you're a pretty smart kid. You should go for it. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to become a physical therapist. I mean, literally, that was how much thought went into the decision. I'm not even kidding you. So before I even went to undergrad, I knew I wanted to go to PT school, go to graduate school. I knew I wanted to do the doctor of physical therapy route. I started researching that. My dad helped me. My dad's a real maximizer, so I can give him full credit for that, helping me to find the right way. And I I mean, honestly, my goal from time point zero was I want to do outpatient. I want to work with high school and college athletes. I want to own my own practice. I mean, I'm, basically, I was kind of shooting for what this guy had done. I mean, this appealed to me. I had a pretty bad knee injury when I was in college. I tore my ACL, MCL, part of my LCL, my lateral meniscus, had to have a couple of knee surgeries and basically around two years of PT straight. And that kind of sealed it for me. I was like, man, I can I really want to do this. It seems cool. I could do this every day. So I went into PT school very biased and very wanting to kind of go private practice, manual therapy, sports. That was like, I mean, that was like my sniper-like focus. Luckily though, I made kind of the best uninformed decision that I ever could in undergrad and I majored in neuroscience. And that really... I'm so thankful for because it broadened my horizons, but it also opened up my interest to other things. I was really, really into neuroscience. And so going into PT school, I kind of already had this little itch of like, wow, this is kind of cool. And then when I got to PT school, kind of every course that I took or that I was exposed to, I kind of became interested in. And I was really, really lucky in that I got to have a lot of very cool research and clinical experiences when I was in grad school. And kind of the first one that started to nudge my path in a different direction is I was able to do an eight-week clinical in outpatient pulmonary rehab that was run by PTs. And so that was like a cool intermixing of like some didactic things I had been interested in where I was like, wow, this medical stuff, this cardiovascular and pulmonary stuff is kind of cool, but I'm really kind of an outpatient guy. So that was the first blend of it. And quite honestly, I was doing anything I could to stay away from hospitals. I was terrified of them. I didn't want to step foot in one. I was intimidated by them. I didn't want to do a rotation in one. I wanted to stay as far away from hospitals as I could. And luckily, you know, PT school is designed with some intent and some purpose and some forethought. And we had these um, 
experiences during one semester where we had to spend one day a week in clinic and you had to do five weeks in an inpatient setting and five weeks in an outpatient setting. And I was at an acute care hospital. And I remember my third week, I, you know, I spent part of the time with one CI, part of the time with another, and I was on like an orthopedics floor and a neuro floor. And then uh, we went to like a neuro ICU. And I remember like the third week I was like, I was leaving the hospital and I was like, whoa, like, I really like this. This is kind of cool. Like, I don't, but I'm not supposed to like this. I'm not supposed to like this. And didn't think much of it, actually. It was just kind of intrigued. And then I got really into research. And I had this opportunity at, uh, at University of Colorado, uh, Denver. They had the opportunity where you could do what was called a research clinical rotation. And what that entailed was half the time you were in clinic, half the time what you were with one of your professors, essentially being a research assistant, learning about their kind of research agenda, assisting them. And then you would be in kind of an analogous setting for clinic. And because I had already set up one of my other rotations in an outpatient orthopedics clinic, I could not do a research rotation surrounding orthopedics or sports or outpatient. And so one of my professors was actually just getting done kind of collecting data uh, on a pilot of kind of early intensive physical therapy for patients who had been mechanically ventilated for greater than seven days. She was collaborating with a critical care physician, and they had just gotten some very high-level funding for a five-year randomized control trial on a similar topic. And then I got to do my clinical portion in a long-term acute care hospital. And it, it just totally changed my trajectory. The thing for me is I was drawn by the t- complexity and the day-to-day challenges, but really the teamwork too. Um, you know, Having grown up playing a lot of sports and done a lot of team things, that teamwork thing really drew me in, as well as the constant, constant learning. I mean, if you work in an acute care hospital or any type of acute setting, medical setting, like there is literally always something new to learn. And that really kind of initially drew me in. And so that's kind of how I got there. But being stubborn like I am for the first three, three and a half years that I practiced, I kind of practiced in this private outpatient clinic and the acute care hospital before I fully pivoted. And that was just kind of based upon our hospital was growing. It was a good time to go full time. I was going to be able to work mainly in critical care environments. Um, So all that was kind of sealed by the ability to also treat within that randomized control trial for, I was lucky to treat within it for five years on the treatment arm of the study where I would just learn so much about research and clinical practice and how the two interface. So kind of a long story, but, you know, kind of what a lot of my acute care colleagues have where, you know, you come in with this one perspective and you're kind of drawn to it for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, at least for me, if you have the right perspective, and I think this is really true for anything in healthcare, any setting, or really any human endeavor, Nothing is ever the same in the hospital, man. It's all new. It's exciting. It's challenging because it's just fast-paced and complicated. And of course, we all fall into the traps of thinking and labeling that prevent us from such a perspective. But I just found for me, foundationally, acute care and critical care, it just naturally tore those walls down. And so that challenge and constant growth were huge, huge motivators to me of like, you know, I tell people all the day, you know, or every day, you know, I'm never bored at work, man. I mean, I'm never bored. And I'm like, even when I'm tired and I don't want to be there and don't have a good attitude, I always learn something. It's never dull. And I'm always being challenged and I'm always getting to see really kind of even philosophically really interesting stuff. So, uh, you know, I could probably talk for hours on that, but that, that I think is, is all in all kind of why I ended up going that route. Interesting, Kyle. And, you know, kind of with, with that being said and all those kind of things, what was your experience like kind of the first year you came out? Like, what are some of the things that you went through at that time that kind of changed a couple of ways of how you practice and such? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, it's probably a question that could be its whole podcast. You know, it reminds me a lot of actually your guys' 
intro episode and you know quite honestly and I actually talked with Karen Witze and uh, Kenny Veneer on Karen's podcast about this for a little bit is, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I really struggled my first couple of years out of PT school. And, you know, I know Brandon, you talked about in that intro episode of really feeling like you got a dose of reality when you go out into the real world and how much different that was than PT school and how you just immediately feel like you had all these gaps in your knowledge and skills and, and didn't really feel prepared. And I definitely felt that. And it's interesting looking back on it because I wouldn't trade it because I think I learned so much. But man, there, I mean, for probably two, almost three years, I was really kind of wondering where my place in, in kind of the physical therapy healthcare profession was. I considered quitting physical therapy quite a few times, actually. Uh, and I would say really had a lot of existential angst. And so, you know, for me, I mean, I really identify with you guys' first episode, you know, especially, you know, and Scott talking about just really being unsure of what direction to go in. And I think what I learned in my first, I would say three years, because I definitely didn't learn in my first year, it's a little slow in the uptake, is you get this really kind of paradoxical tension between the idealism of not necessarily school, I'd say, but kind of the idealism of learning foundationally what you should do for patients and then getting absolutely slapped in the face with the reality of that's good didactic knowledge, but you work in a convoluted system with perverse incentives, with people who are usually at their lowest and sometimes most distressful points of their life. And that's even, you know, I I, I can say that very easily. I work in an intensive care unit where 17% of all patients die. But even an outpatient sports PT who works with adolescent athletes, and I saw this all the time, like, if you have a 17-year-old high school soccer player who is desiring to play soccer in college and they tear their ACL, they have lost almost their complete identity. I mean, that is their identity. So the existential crisis and distress that those folks feel is profound as well. But I think what it showed me was really that you have to be able to kind of find your place in a system that's not going to be idealistic. And you have to balance your desire for things to be as good as they can be with the reality of how a system works. And that was really hard for me because I'm a really solutions-oriented person, someone who really kind of sees what's wrong and how we should fix it. So it was frustrating. And one of my speech therapy colleagues who has a lot more experience than I do and is is pretty wise, you know, told me, and I, and I love this saying is, you know, a lot of times in healthcare, especially in acute care, you kind of feel like you're showing up to a forest fire with a squirt gun. And you kind of just have to figure out where to aim it. And the biggest thing that flipped for me or the biggest lesson that I learned actually was being okay, not being okay, and being okay with uncertainty and knowing that this whole damn thing is is just a process. And you have to kind of accept that and you have to find how you want to ride that wave. And you can choose to be idealistic and not accept it and say it should be better and everything is so bad and why aren't we paid more and why don't we do things this way? And But you're going to drive yourself crazy doing that. So, you know, you just kind of have to show up and go through the motions, even though some people would say that's kind of a, a pejorative saying and just put one foot in front of the other every single day. I think that was the big things that hit me my first couple of years out. And it was, those were hard lessons to learn, man. Yeah, great points, Kyle. While we're kind of on that topic, could you give us any tactics uh, to help students gain a healthy level of confidence in the ICU and acute care? Like, what what are some things really helping to boost those students? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's that's a question that 
you know, myself and my acute care colleagues, especially my ICU critical care PT colleagues get a lot. I I get a lot in clinic. Uh, We get it a lot at conferences. And really the the answer is kind of tough a little bit. You know, I think experience sometimes is a dirty word in our profession. And I think at times totally rightfully so. But honestly, it's experience, time, and exposure. Like there, there may be ways to develop more quickly and efficiently. And I want to talk about a few of them, but there are absolutely no shortcuts. I mean, if you want to be confident and competent and highly skilled and highly respected in ICU and acute care, it takes work, it takes time, and it takes experience. But man, you've got to balance that with questioning and reflection and really good guidance because it's you know, you're in the medical system. You're not the main player, right? If you're in an inpatient rehab setting, an acute rehab unit, that is a rehab focused setting. I mean, PT, you're the, you're one of the main players. If you're in an outpatient private practice, you're the player. So you have to kind of broaden your lens and you have to learn a lot. But I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest tactic, tactics that I can give people is the first one is collaboration. I mean, you need to learn from all of the other professionals that you're working with. And that means asking questions, even if you think they're stupid. That means learning everything you can about all these other professions. What's a respiratory therapist day like? How are theirs is their productivity measured? What are their what's their training? What's their perspective? What questions do they have? You know, what what things are hard for them? What do they wish they could do? You know, and same with physicians and speech language pathologists, nurses, uh, you name it, chaplains even, psychologists. And that is very helpful. But really the the bigger thing is 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 being able to broaden your horizons or your your context or your lens i guess i would say and be able to better understand how the hospital itself works and that's really where i had my biggest growth was not trying to say man what do i need to know about my pt specific stuff but was saying man how can i understand a patient from the time they enter the door to the time they leave the hospital and all the processes and all the other professionals that interact with them. Because then by seeing that big picture, that big wheel turning, I can kind of figure out where I fit. I can kind of figure out who's really good at what and kind of where my expertise lies. And I think that's where acute care and especially critical care are really good because they they very profoundly illustrate to you where you are not the expert. I mean, every single day I'm talking to people and I'm like, oh, man, I really don't understand that like I thought I did that's a really good point. Or, wow, I don't really know what you're talking about at that level of detail. You seem to know infinitely more than I do. But the flip side is it kind of empowers you a little bit to say like, wait a second, but I know a lot about this thing and why aren't we doing this thing? So if I had to give like pragmatic tactics, I would probably say uh, interact and collaborate with all the professions, attempt to understand their knowledge, their training, kind of their role, but also their needs and their blind spots because that's where you can kind of be helpful. Definitely need to study up and learn about medical diagnoses, medical tests, medications, and medical treatment content and prognosis for kind of the common conditions that you're either going to see in your hospital or your unit. And then really the big thing is you need to take ownership. You need to kind of say, okay, I'm going to try to own my little world and I'm going to be really good at that. And I'm going to make recommendations and I'm going to ask where I can help. And if you're flexible and willing to interact like that, I've seen PTs develop super quickly. And I'll give you an example. One of my good friends and colleagues who unfortunately just moved to Michigan to be working at the University of Michigan, uh, right out of school, he started working at our hospital and he just dove into acute care. He wanted to do ICU stuff, worked on a transplant floor, normal ward for a little while, went to our cardiothoracic ICU where we just do some crazy gnarly stuff. I mean, people on 
left ventricular assist devices, uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation device. I mean, just crazy, crazy cardiac devices. And he just jumped in. Let me collaborate with the physicians. What do the nurses want? What do people expect from me? I'm going to eat lunch down here. And about a year and a half in, I would refer to him and talk about him as if he had worked in the hospital for like five years. And I always forgot. I'm like, oh my God, he only graduated 19 months ago. And so his ability to kind of commit and grow and see outside of the PT specific lens really kind of uh, facilitated his growth. So I think those are the, those are the big things uh, from my standpoint. And it's complicated, admittedly. That's why there's not a good answer here. But at least from my observation and experience, those are the things that I think that I've seen that really high-level clinicians have done that help them gain confidence but also progress very quickly. Interesting. No, Kyle, I think you brought up a lot of great points in there, man. And I think you made a couple of big ones, especially with really not just understanding physical therapy aspect, but really the entire process of the rehab process and kind of everyone's role in with the patient. I, I think that's so critical. I mean, you know, you there's your experience in the hospital and, you know, ours more so in the in the outpatient settings. I mean, it's relatively similar. And I think being able to learn more about how the rehab process really, really works is able, you know, I feel like we're able to A, learn the ins and outs of kind of how to really work better within the system, kind of like you say, because I, I totally agree that what we learn in school is more of an ideal situation, but then we're thrown into this model and this system that's kind of really anything far from it. And I think that in that regard, I think you made some good points. And, you know, my next question to you, Kyle, is, you know, of course, for that newer clinician who's going into acute care or ICU, besides what you've mentioned already, are, are, there some, are there any other tips that you would really recommend for that new grad about to start working in the acute care ICU setting? Yeah, I mean, I think the the big one for me, uh, having made a lot of mistakes, is you have to find a process. Acute care, unlike any other setting, is it can pull you in so many different directions, right? So, you know, when you come into outpatient, you know, obviously things can go sideways sometimes, but you essentially, right, you have a schedule. You basically know when people are coming in. You basically know how long you should spend with them. You basically know who you're going to see that day in what order. And that's never the case in acute care. And there's all these other com competing demands. And if you're not careful, I call it being a ping pong therapist. You'll be ping ponged by the incentives of how you're measured and the pressure is putting on you, but also the requests of everyone else. And that can cause you to rush. That could cause you to spend too much time on something. That can cause you to overemphasize something. And so you have to come up with a process and you can't be afraid to kind of pause because it's not in an environment that encourages pause all that often because things, you know, everything needed to happen five minutes ago. And so you can get this very big kind of angst and pressure to always rush. And when you rush, you don't think clearly. And when you rush, you miss things. And when you rush, you don't make good decisions. And this was an approach that I learned through a lot of kind of doing it wrong multiple times, but you have to have a foundational kind of process and kind of guiding principles that allow you to parse through this complexity with at least a little bit of sanity. And you have to be committed to learning, and which is really hard when you're in that environment, right? Like if you're in a complicated environment, and a, one of the examples that resonates with me is I can remember when I kind of first started playing football and I felt like I was in the, standing in the middle of a freeway. I had no idea what's going on. And when you first work in acute care, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I don't really have any idea what's going on. And so you have to, for yourself, build in time either in your workday or after your workday to learn 
and to reflect and to digest and to analyze. And I think that's, of course, true of any setting. But really, that's that's what you have to do when you're new is you kind of have to every day almost sit down and say, okay, who man, what went well today? What was a struggle today? How did I feel today? Because it's not a comfortable environment. Like I can tell you, man, the first couple of years that I was in the hospital, I was nervous every damn day walking into the hospital. Just nervous about what was going to happen, nervous about not knowing enough, nervous about how I was going to interact with people who knew a ton more than me, you know, a physician who's been doing this for 20 years, an experienced nurse, nervous that I wasn't doing the right stuff. And it's also very intimidating, right? Like it's not like you walk in and people are high-fiving the physical therapist. I mean, on my unit they do because they're awesome, but you know, it's not like the C's part and in comes the physical therapist and you know, you're kind of like trying to figure out where you fit and people have all this crazy stuff and they're really sick and so you have to have to put some balance in there. But I think really that reflection, that reflective learning, that ability to self-analyze is is just absolutely essential. And that can be hard. So I mean, I think the big thing, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree with this in any practice setting, is to at least try to find a formal or an informal or formal kind of mentor or someone who can help guide you along, even if that's a virtual mentor, um, which I had a couple of, not necessarily for acute care early in my career that were totally professionally transformative. So yeah, it's a bit of a kind of a shotgun answer, but I, I don't know if there's any good any good silver bullets for for a topic like that. Yeah, Kyle, you hit on so many common themes that we've been hearing throughout the podcast. Reflection is a big one, and I think we see a lot of that in the experts that we interview. All of them have that common theme of reflecting and going back and, and thinking about what went well that day or what, what could I have done better. And then mentorship, you know, that's another big buzzword going around right now. I think uh, realistically, we're seeing how important that is, whether it's formal or informal. Don't be afraid to reach out and find those mentors, you know, that, that that's going to lead you to a lot of different discoveries that, you know, you may not even have been thinking of most of the time. So I think those are two very powerful, uh, yeah, very powerful tools. And it, you know, it kind of validates your experience, right? Because I think a lot of us, and I'm sure you guys struggled with this, and I, I felt that theme in your kind of introductory podcast is, you know, you kind of get out there and you're you're just on an island a little bit, right? Like our profession, unfortunately, by the way that it's structured both in training and pragmatically in clinical practice, right? Like look at the, the CPI, the clinical performance instrument that we use for clinical internships. It's all centered around independence, Right. And then you get out and practice and you're, you're not collaborating with colleagues. You all have your separate caseloads. And unfortunately, this is actually in direct discordance with how most of medicine works. I, I have a friend and colleague who actually went to PT school for two years and then dropped out and went to med school. And I collaborated with him on a little bit of research when I was in PT school. And he said the thing that struck him, one of the big things that struck him is, that, is the how we're trained clinically. And he said, you know, I'm an attending physician. You know, he's the general manager. He's at the top. He oversees the fellow and the different levels of residents and the med students and kind of all decisions at the end of the day go through him. He has the final say. And he told me one day, he's like, Kyle, I'm an attending physician and I don't make a decision by myself. And yet you guys expect your students to be independent by the time that they leave a clinical rotation. He's like, it makes no sense to me. And he's like, and then you go out into practice and you have no support or guidance. He's like, I learned things from my residents every single day. And I know that's changing in some, you know, clinics and hospitals and residency and fellowship programs, but it really gave me pause. And I was like, man, he's so right. And I can tell you from my experience with my quality improvement project, where we purposefully designed a team approach where I had a team of therapists and we rounded every single day. 
and we challenge each other every single day and we learned and supported each other. That ethos of that project is what kept my team engaged and is the thing that they would never give up is they didn't feel like they were on an island. They felt like we had goals. They felt supported and they felt like they were growing and could struggle with the support and input from their colleagues. And I think we see that all the time with all these people we talk to, right? Whether it's students or master clinicians. Yeah, good points, Kyle. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit here. Um, and this is a topic that kind of interests me because I'm working on my educational doctorate currently in my dissertation, but I, I'm not looking to use it as traditionally as the world of academia, but I kind of like some other possible avenues for this. So what are some of the best CEU courses or resources that you've found to best help the clinician working in acute and ICU setting? Yeah, that's a good, good question. It's one that I also get a lot. I am not, yeah, I don't know how to put this diplomatically. I'm not a big CEU guy, a CE guy, to be quite honest with you. And some of that is that, you know, acute care and cardiovascular and pulmonary more generally doesn't necessarily have a huge market for CEUs and CE. So there's not a lot to choose from. Um, you know, there, there are two people that I can blindly recommend. One is Dan Malone, who's been a mentor of mine, and he's the president of the cardiovascular and pulmonary section. He's board certified in cardiovascular and pulmonary PT. He has a PhD in kind of benchside physiology. I mean, the, the, the guy has got and has 20 years of experience in acute care, worked in nothing but a medical ICU for like eight years. And he he does some continuing ed courses, uh, and I would recommend anything that he puts out for sure. The, the second lady is Chris Perm, and she works in Texas, and she's been super involved in the acute care and cardiopulm section for a long time. And she's been working in a kind of cardiovascular ICU since the 80s, and she's world expert. I mean, if there is a if there is a roundtable world convention expert consensus on anything related to rehab and PT in the ICU, she's she's on the call list. So I would recommend anything by them. You know, other things I'd recommend is the acute care section does has listservs for its members. They have a critical care listserv and emergency department, total joint, um, where you can do some discussion. You know, I found CSM to be very helpful. You know, the tough part about CSM, of course, is those are two to four hour educational lectures. So they're, they don't have the depth that like a weekend CEU course would have or something like that. The other thing I would recommend is if people are really wanting to dive into this is there are some acute care residencies and some critical care fellowships popping up. I know Chris Perm, I think, started a critical care fellowship. I know uh, Johns Hopkins has both an acute care residency and a critical care fellowship. Uh, I don't know much about either of them to actually have vetted them, but those are always avenues, of course. But really, for me, it goes back to the collaboration piece. The resources that I have found the most helpful, quite honestly, are the other professionals that I work with, interact with, and observe every single day. And that's nurses and physicians, of course, but respiratory therapists, pharmacists, speech-language pathologists, chaplains even, psychologists, uh, different medical teams like the palliative care team. I can't tell you how much I've learned from my palliative care colleagues. Those guys have probably taught me more about what I do and what I can do than any PT course that I've taken. And then, of course, for me and my professional development, connecting and discussion issues with people online has been a huge, huge resource uh, for me. You know, and that's through Twitter and 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 having been afforded the opportunity by Eric Robertson to contribute to PTT, PT Think Tank for the past seven years and, and discuss with people in that forum, even though it's not acute care focused, Soma Simple discussion list was 
transformative in my thinking. So my best advice is to take a take a multifaceted approach. Try to find a few courses, you know, every couple of years that you can take. Maybe try to go to a CSM or Johns Hopkins host an ICU rehabilitation conference, which is internationally attended and, and amazing. Uh, you know, collaborate with both your physical therapy rehab and other colleagues in the hospital. Maybe try to find a, a social media network and cut, try to triangulate the problem. And then you can never go wrong reading the literature, man. I mean, what what are you working with? What are you seeing? What do you want to know about it? And just learn as much as you can about everything that you're interacting with on a daily basis from just the basic physiology to the epidemiology research to the clinical research. And so that's kind of been my, call it spastic or, you know, almost a kind of schizophrenic approach to trying to parse together some resources to to do this. So I don't really think there's one best way, but I think the the more angles you can take, the better. Absolutely. And I think a lot of those points are fantastic. And I think also it really become, comes down to the individual really knowing thyself and kind of knowing where their gaps are and knowing, having that ability to self-assess where they are to really help best navigate what they need to do and what strategies they need to do to help address the weaknesses that matter. So I, I agree. I think those are really clutch. And, and you know, Kyle, you know, as therapists, we are very often educating our patients and families throughout the course of care. And I'm curious for you, for you as how is educating patients in the hospital and the ICU unique compared to other settings? That's a great question, man. You know, it could probably be a whole podcast in and of itself. I think the the main foundational things is, is the environment is totally different than any other setting, as is kind of the complexity and the pace. You know, you have multiple simultaneous providers kind of running in parallel at the same time. And there's also like very dynamic testing and knowledge being developed regarding what is going on with a patient, what the plan is, right? So, you know, I'll give you an example, you know, patient comes to you direct access, they felt a pop while they were cutting and pivoting at soccer practice. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm concerned you have an ACL tear or whatever. Maybe you're referring to an orthopedic surgeon, maybe they get surgery. There's kind of this more linear approach uh, and they come to you for post ACL reconstruction rehab. Whereas in the hospital, it's like there's multiple teams and multiple providers that are all doing their different tests and everything is like dynamic day to day to day to day. There's not like a concrete thing that you may be always, always attacking. Outside of that kind of environmental and process complexity, there's also the fact that when people are in the hospital, there are the cognitive, psycho-emotional effects of the testing itself, the environment, and the treatments, right? Medications, interventions, both on the patients and the families, right? You know, and this includes things like lack of sleep, distractions, the physiologic effects of acute illness, effects of medication, psychosocial and emotional distress. So you could probably argue that for many, if not most, that this is not an ideal environment or situation for teaching and learning. Now, that being said, you may have a captive audience, right? I mean, you are in a very, very crazy, potentially unique scenario where you may be primed to really be observing and taking in information. But it's, you know, it's a challenging environment. And so I think the big thing is, is you really, you have to interface with all of these things that are going to affect the people's actual cognitive abilities, right? Lack of sleep. There's great research on how lack of sleep affects attention, cognitive abilities. Uh, I'm going to guess ability to learn, although I don't know that literature very well. I'm sure Scott might be able to theorize a little bit in that regard, given his expertise. But then you take into effect medication effect, 
actually the effects of the whatever deranged physiology they have, the psychosocial and emotional distress. And so I think what's really unique is all of this complexity spinning around and trying to figure out when, what, why, and how you're going to educate someone. And, and then that becomes a big challenge, of course. And then you throw into that, that of course, every setting has its range of patients that you're interacting with. But you know, I can interact with someone who speaks no English to someone who has a PhD in chemistry, to someone who is homeless and has a fourth grade education, to someone who has no health literacy and has certain beliefs around healthcare. And of course, everybody interacts with different people at the acute care hospitals. There's such this amalgamation of range of people. It, it doesn't discriminate. And it really doesn't discriminate. So then you throw all this individual patient to patient complexity, and then you have the diagnostic complexity where it's like, wow, like, I'm not just working with, even though you take my ICU, I work in a 24-bed medical ICU. All the ICUs in our hospital are fairly specialized. So we have like, you know, medical ICU, surgical trauma, burn, neurosciences, cardiac, cardiothoracic, you know, all these different ICUs burn. But even within our ICU, man, the range of diagnoses is even so not homogenous, heterogeneous, that there's just too much to know. So I think the big thing is, is the complexity, the environment, the pace the dynamic nature of knowing what's going on with the patient, which can change minute to minute, and then all the effects of medication treatment and that treatment environment on the patient and family. So there's not there's not just one thing, which is probably a theme of, of my acute care experience. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.